Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. The email is Pete at the com. which, by the way, I'm not sure why. I guess there was like some sort of a, a sinking issue. Not like sinking as in capsizing in the water, but like like being in sync, not the band, but synced up. Anyway, like I just saw there were a bunch of emails that I see today that apparently came in during yesterday's show. I'm not exactly sure why that happened. I think there was an Outlook sync issue. I don't know. So I apologize for not seeing your emails uh, yesterday. I thought it was kind of odd. If I don't see any emails coming in, it's usually a pro- there's usually some problem. <laughs> um, so I apologize for that. But the email is Pete at the com, and I apparently am getting them now. So the sync problem has been corrected. I think it had to do with there was some sort of an update that was pushed out yesterday, which I'm sure broke like every other computer program that I've got on my PC and laptop. That's usually how that goes. <laughs> as soon as they send out an update, I got to reinstall drivers or whatever. Anyway, uh, first world problems. I get it. So former Obama White House stenographer Mike McCormick tells the New York Post that he wants to testify before the federal grand jury in Delaware. This grand jury is considering charges against first son Hunter Biden, saying that McCormick has relevant information that's been ignored by the FBI that implicates President Biden in a foreign influence peddling conspiracy. So first thing I thought was former Obama White House stenographer Mike McCormick, and I'm like, that's weird. I haven't seen his byline at like the Washington Post or the New York Times. I don't understand why I don't know this. No, there's actually a position called stenographer, White House stenographer. It's not a member of the media. I know. I thought I thought it would be, but no. Well, maybe there are a lot of yeah, like independent contractors that are stenographers for the White House. That might be the case too. So Obama, I think, had a lot of stenographers, paid and unpaid. But Mike McCormick was apparently the official government-employed White House stenographer, and. As such, he saw some stuff and heard some stuff and wrote down some stuff, him being a stenographer and all, right? Quote, Joe Biden committed crimes in Ukraine in a conspiracy with the current national security advisor, Jake Sullivan. End quote. That is what the Obama White House stenographer Mike McCormick says to the New York Post. Now I have to point out, that uh, McCormick is a Trump supporter, <laughs> so uh, you got to keep you got to keep it in mind. But he says he was a witness to this occasion. So McCormick visited Ukraine with then Vice President Joe Biden three different times, and there was one particular trip back in 2014 where Jake Sullivan, who was at the time Joe Biden's national security aide, Jake Sullivan, they're on the plane, Air Force Two, and Sullivan 
goes into the press cabin on the plane and he briefs reporters. But he does so not under his own name, but as an anonymous, quote, senior administration official. And this is pretty standard nowadays. Never used to be the case like this. Only on rare occasions would you actually get these kinds of, you know, off the record kind of, oh, just cite an administration administration official. I blame the TV show The West Wing. Because after that, I think it, it sort of normalized this kind of behavior. And now it seems like every single story you read is from an anonymous source. And you got to believe that it's somebody at the top, but you don't know because they're providing anonymity. So we're just trusting that the person giving us this information, the reporter, isn't being used or isn't in on the the using, right? And we're assuming that the person who is demanding anonymity in order to leak out particular information, that they're not doing so for some other ulterior motive, which of course they are, because that's why you would do that. That's why you wouldn't put your name on it, right? You're not doing it so, you know, the American people can be fully informed of what's going on. No, you're doing it to craft a narrative, and the reporters are usually helping you do so because they want access. They want scoops. They want clicks because that gives them... uh, cachet, right? That that increases their stock, their brand. Um, so McCormick is on this trip to Ukraine, 2014. Jake Sullivan goes and briefs reporters anonymously about how the United States was interested in helping Ukraine's natural gas industry. At the time, and unknown to the public, Hunter Biden had just joined the board of Burisma. He was working with an executive who would later meet with Joe Biden in Washington, D.C. McCormick says, quote, they have been looking at Hunter Biden, but this ties Joe Biden and Jake Sullivan into promoting a kickback scheme with Ukraine. It's the timeline that does it, he says. McCormick says he was with Jake Sullivan in the press cabin of the vice presidential jet. They were en route to Kiev. This was April 21st, 2014. And Sullivan outlined how the world's wealthiest country, America, would help the deeply corrupt post-Soviet state build its gas industry. Giving a rundown of Biden's priorities, Sullivan said that the then-vice president would, quote, discuss with Ukrainian officials medium and long-term strategies to boost conventional gas production. Okay, so this is the anonymously delivered rundown, and he goes through some of the details here. I'm not going to bother with all of that, but just know that this was in, um, this was April 21. Hunter's role with Burisma was not disclosed until a month later in May. A BuzzFeed article citing company documents that were filed in Cyprus said Hunter Biden had joined Burisma April 18th and emails from Hunter's abandoned laptop include discussions in the run-up to his dad's visit to the country. So that's the timeline. April 18, Hunter Biden Gets onto the board of Burisma. Three days later, they're en route to Kiev. Jake Sullivan starts going over how the U.S. is going to help Burisma, right? Going to help Ukraine develop its natural gas portfolio. McCormick provided the New York Post with screenshots of an online FBI tip submission form that he says he completed in February. And he says he never heard back. Right now, they are three years into an investigation doing nothing, and it seems like they are stonewalling, he said. 
I go. I, I will go under oath before anybody who needs to hear the truth about Joe Biden's criminal activities. The FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware did not respond to requests for comment by the New York Post. Lying to the FBI is punishable by up to five years in prison. So this guy is actually risking something, right? He filled out a, a tip submission form online. He's trying to give it to the um, to the FBI, but they haven't done anything. They sat on the laptop for years, right? Sullivan's office did not dispute McCormick's claim that he was the unnamed senior administration official. So Jake Sullivan's office is not disputing that. It happened two months after pro-Western protesters ousted Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych. The 80-year-old commander-in-chief is reportedly not a focus of the wide-ranging probe, the grand jury probe, into Hunter Biden. For now, at least. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware reportedly is investigating Hunter Biden for possible tax fraud, illegal foreign lobbying, money laundering, and lying about his drug use on a federal gun purchase form. Hunter Biden was paid up to $1 million per year for five years to serve on the Burisma board, despite no relevant industry experience, as his dad handled the Obama administration's Ukraine portfolio. Once again, what exactly is the family business? That, of course, Joe Biden claims that he had no discussions with his son about at any point ever. Right? He never talked with Hunter about any of his business. Not even like at the, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, you're sitting around and, oh, hey, son, <laughs> chocolate chip. That's business. Now, you don't even ask that. You don't even ask how his business is doing. Why? Wouldn't that be the normal thing a dad would ask his son or a son would ask his dad or siblings ask siblings, whatever, like your family, you're hanging around. Oh, hey, how's the business going? You're in business, right? Selling our name. No, I'm kidding. They wouldn't. But that is what they're doing, right? What other line of work is this Biden family operation in the business of? They produce no goods. They provide no service except for intros to the big guy, Joe. And Joe, being the vice president, helping Ukraine with their uh, port with their uh, uh, energy portfolio, the development of of natural gas resources, and lo and behold, a month prior to the meet, Joe Biden, um, or I'm sorry, uh, three days prior to the meet, Joe Biden's son gets put onto the board of Burisma, and they don't tell anybody until a month after the meet. And then when they do make the announcement, internal emails show that they were like very uh, worried about how it was going to be presented to the public because they recognize the sensitivity of. Uh, of the uh, the higher. Oh, and they also said, these Burisma officials, they also said in their correspondence that on the email that they don't talk on the phone about any of this stuff, which is, to- like, like, that's a sign that everything about this is totally above board, right? Because that's what you do when it's just a normal hire, right? You You just don't talk about anything over the phone for fear of who may be eavesdropping. That's totally normal business practice. Mm-hmm. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will 
consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. No federal charges to be filed in the death of Shanquella Robinson, the U.S. Attorney's Office says. Uh, details to come. Um, do, 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 do Joe Bruno reporting that, uh, according to the U.S. Attorney, based on the results of the autopsy and after a careful deliberation and review of the investigative materials by both U.S. Attorney's Offices, federal prosecutors informed Ms. Robinson's family today that the available evidence does not support a federal prosecution. Um, Shanquala Robinson was the, uh, the woman who went to Mexico with her quote friends, uh, and then died in Mexico and her friends, they were at some resort and they, you know, called the, the, uh, what on resort doctor or whatever who came. And there was, there was a, uh, disparity between what exactly the doctor's report and the autopsy said and what was, what the friends told the, uh, the family, Shinkola Robinson's family. And then there was the video that came out of one of these, quote, friends beaten up on Shinkola Robinson. And somebody was videotaping it. And he was like, why don't you fight back? And um, and now and then they originally said that she had died from alcohol poisoning. And now uh, and then the, the, the autopsy said, no, it was blunt force trauma. And so now the U.S. attorney's office is like, sorry, no federal charge is going to get filed. So. That's uh, that's sad to hear, but I don't. I mean, maybe there's still something to be done in Mexico about it. I don't know. Um, and then there was this rumor out there that they had stolen a bunch of her money. Her friends had stolen her money. Um, but none of them have. Yeah, none of them have uh, have been willing to talk to anybody, do any interviews or anything. They turned off their phones and. Deleted social media and stuff. So, but now maybe that there's no charges. Now maybe, yeah, maybe you'll you'll be more interested in talking and telling everybody what happened. Maybe anyway. All righty. So um, Hunter Biden, he was paid a million dollars a year between 2014 and 2019 to serve on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. He didn't have any experience that warranted his appointment to that post. He had no credentials to sit on the board of a Ukrainian energy company other than his last name being uh, being Biden, right? That's it. That's according to House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, who is uh, leading a congressional inquiry into Joe Biden's role in his relative's foreign business ventures. Quote, the fact that then-Vice President Joe Biden pushed natural gas production in Ukraine just days after his son was appointed to the board of Burisma, it reeks of corruption, Right. The White House stenographer, Michael McCormick, worked for more than a decade at the White House. He says his work has made him familiar with the grand jury proceedings, and he believes the new timeline details demonstrates Joe Biden was using his authority to help his son's foreign business interests. Joe Biden was over there telling them, you can't be corrupt, you can't be corrupt, while he was corrupt. Look, this is Air Force Two. This is Joe Biden's plane. He's in control of it. Jake Sullivan, his aide was in the front of the plane with Joe Biden in a meeting, and then he walks back in the plane and talks to the press and tells them how they're going to help Ukraine's gas industry. And this this trip occurs three days after Hunter Biden gets posted onto the uh, board at Burisma. 
McCormick said he suspects Hunter and Joe met before the vice president's trip to Europe, and they may have discussed the business venture regarding Burisma. Um, Hunter Biden emailed one of his partners named Archer um, a lengthy analysis of Ukraine developments on April 12, 2014. Same time frame, right? At the same time he's getting named to this Burisma board, he sends over this document, this lengthy analysis of Ukrainian developments, and a reading of this looks like it's a government document. It doesn't read like some email that Hunter Biden sent his buddy. It reads like some sort of a readout that was prepared for the administration that got handed off to Hunter, which he then sends to his business associate. The former stenographer, who is also an author, he writes on Substack, he openly acknowledges that he supports the 2024 candidacy of Donald Trump. He also speculates that Hunter Biden may be linked to classified documents that were recovered last year at the president's Wilmington, Delaware home. That may feed into the document storage because if he, if Hunter, was at his dad's house where these documents were found on the day he wrote this email, that's a pretty serious part of an investigation that puts Joe in the middle of handling, uh, or rather handing off these documents to his son for illegal use. Hunter Biden wrote in documents retrieved from his laptop that he paid as much as half of his income to his father. This again is the uh, New York Times, or sorry, the New York Post story by Stephen Nelson. Ex-White House stenographer says FBI ignored Biden's role in son Hunter Biden's dealings. The White House says it stands by Joe's claims that he has never spoken with his son about his overseas business dealings. We have Dean. Hello, Dean. What's going on? Uh, I, I'm, I don't listen to a lot of other news, and I, I really admire your station, but I can't help but feel you're compromising the security of the United States right now. Now, that's fair. Yesterday I was trying to get teachers killed by talking about uh, the screeners. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, but isn't it pretty obvious, I think, to everyone that Hunter is like an embedded spy. He was he was there, you know, and his dad had to deny any kind of culpability or anything because, you know, he was going to be president, and through association, um, it, it would have put us in a very bad position. The, well, that, at the time, Joe Biden was the vice president, and I don't think there yeah. was I don't I don't think at that point. People were thinking he was going to be the nominee. He was going to run afterwards. I don't. I, I don't remember that to be no, the case. But no, Obama had already chosen. him. You know, his two times was up. I mean, it was sort of like you know, let's he. You know, granted, Trump was a blimp. You know, he was a uh, he was you know, and the swamp thing and everything. And so, but uh, I, I think that really, you know, Hunter should probably be a hero. Why we? Why would Hunter be a hero? Well, uh, you know, if they'd have found him out and found that he was actually taking all that information and using it for the United States and for our purposes to strengthen us, I, I'm sure he would have been, you know, part of an oil field by now. Why do you think I'm not? I'm not following whatever it is you're trying to lay out here. What What exactly do you think Hunter Biden did that helped America? Well, you know, yes, he got paid. And I mean, that was, that was, but that was all part of the whole setup that, you know, he's getting paid. So 
they're thinking he's on their side when in fact he's like a double agent kind of thing. Right. What 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 did he do that helped America? Well, that's that's way beyond my uh, my you know theory. Uh, your hypothesis. Your well, no, no, my uh, intelligent security level or whatever. Well, I mean, it's Not beyond. My, don't right, Don't hang on that. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. So you're saying that you're, you're 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 suggesting here that everybody's got this wrong that he's been a double agent all this time, and the stuff that he's been doing has actually been to advance American foreign interest and national security. That's your idea. See how logical it is. No. Oh, okay. Well, I'll go back and work on it. All right. Yes, please do. That is definitely not. Uh, that is not fully cooked yet. It's a half-baked idea, you might say. Not fully cooked. <laughs> oh, dear. all right. Um, I feel like that was worth it. <clears throat> the Democratic National Committee, it's parting ways with its Democratic super lawyer, Mark Elias. That according to multiple sources today. So I, of course, uh, went onto the Twitter machine. And I, I retweeted that out. I said, huh, look at that. And our old pal, Judge Bob Orr, former state Supreme Court, Bob Orr, uh, Judge, he, uh, he responds, actually, probably good news for Democrats. And, of course, he doesn't offer anything else, right? No explanation, just an actually, this is good news for Democrats. The Democrats and Mark Elias had a number of, quote, strategic disagreements, according to sources familiar with the internal deliberations. By the way, if they had kept Mark Elias, I have no doubt that Judge Bob Orr would think it was the most brilliant decision also. Right. I don't think there's a decision that Democrats could make at this point that Bob Orr, former Republican, now a never-Trumper, uh, drawer of maps for our uh, for our legislative races and such, um, while also helping to try to unseat one of the members of Congress uh, whose lines he was drawing in that election. But, you know, whatever. Um, he, you know, he, oh, no, he's a, he's a jurist. He can put aside all of those other biases. Um, but, no, I'm sure there's not a decision the Democrats could make on this front that he would not support and think was the right decision. But Mark Elias is the guy who, you know, was the cutout for Perkins Coie law firm. He was the one that, uh, you know, that along with Sussman, right, that pushed the money and the, the information between the Hillary Clinton campaign and the FBI and uh, uh, Fusion GPS, right, and to, for, to get the Steele dossier and the P-tape to make all of those allegations and to then uh, promote these ideas, get the warrants in the FISA court, right, and then go after Trump, uh, for what was a hoax, is fabrication, right? Mark Elias is also the guy who created the democracy docket where he sues legislatures all over the country for gerrymandering, but for some reason, they're all Republican legislatures. It's so weird. He can never find a Democrat-run legislature that's gerrymandering for him to sue. The, he did find one Democrat legislature to defend against charges of gerrymandering. And that was up in Maryland. Um, yeah, which was like textbook gerrymandering case. But see, it's different when Democrats do it. It's totally different. It's not gerrymandering. 
Elias has represented the DNC since 2009. His firm, the Elias Law Group, represents all of the major Democratic entities in Washington. Elias will continue. This is, by the way, how uh, the parties operate. This is how you can engage in the sleazy activity and not have your fingerprints on it. You wash it all through a law firm. And then the law firm claims attorney-client privilege. And this way, there's a wall, and you can't be forced to divulge stuff, right? Um, Elias said, um, oh, sorry. Elias will continue to work for the DCCC, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the Democratic Governors, and the DLCC, the legislative races, state legislative races, I guess. He counts a slew of senators and members as clients, He's a former partner at Perkins Coey. Uh, he's been behind what he calls the democracy docket, an array of voting rights challenges nationwide. Um, yesterday, Elias said this covered 45 cases in 18 states. And according to Punchbowl News, he has a knack for winning these cases, raising the ire of Republicans. Elias's firm has pulled in roughly $100,000 this year from the DNC. In the 2022 cycle, the DNC paid Elias's firm just uh, shy of $2 million, according to campaign reports. So this is a, a very good thing for the Democrats, according to uh, Judge Bob Orr, longtime Republican, uh, I guess n- you know, now promoter of Democrats. David Harsani at The Federalist had a piece the other day called No One is Above the Law. Give me a break. And there really is, as John Edwards claimed, there really is you know, two Americas, I guess there would are two Americas, right? two Americas, one that would be charged for various offenses and others who would not, right? Certain people would get charges against them for certain behavior. Other people engaging in the exact same behavior would not get those charges. Two different justice systems. All right. Now, given the state of affairs in our country and the world, are you asking yourself whether you're prepared for an emergency? I actually get asked this a lot. My answer, start at Carolina Readiness Supply, 2,000 square feet of supplies, the full line of Augustan Farms and Mountain House Foods, books, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, camping and hiking supplies. Being prepared is just smart. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing or somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. In Waynesville and online at CarolinaReadiness.com, get tickets to the Heritage Life Skills event also. Make a day trip to the mountains and return home fully prepared. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Bragg is looking to block the enforcement of Jordan's subpoena against former prosecutor Mark Pomerantz, who led the Trump probe for the Manhattan DA's office until he resigned back in February, wrote a book, Bragg's attorneys argued that the Judiciary Committee's subpoena is not constitutional. And they say that it's part of an unprecedented, illegitimate interference by Congress that lacks any legal merit and defies basic principles of federalism. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, We're getting creative now. Right? That's where we are. Your rules, guys. Your, specifically your rule, Alvin Bragg. You're getting creative? Well, now so too is Congress. They're going to get creative. They're going to issue subpoenas. They're going to find out what you're doing trying to interfere in an election, right? This leads me to David Harsanyi's piece. He says, lock Donald Trump up or don't lock him up, but don't tell me that no one's above the law. It's one of the most ludicrous fantasies peddled by the left. Plenty of people are above the law. James Clapper, who lied under oath to Congress about spying on the American people. 
John Brennan, who lied on, about a domestic spying operation on Senate staffers. Unlike Trump advisor Peter Navarro, Obama's Attorney General Eric Holder was never going to be handcuffed and thrown in prison for ignoring a congressional subpoena because Eric Holder is above the law. Trump's 2016 opponent, Hillary Clinton. Yep, she's, a, she's above the law, too. The Secretary of State set up a private server in her home in order to circumvent transparency surrounding her slush fund foundation. That's what that was all about, by the way. Right? She sent 110 emails containing marked classified information. She sent, uh, and uh, of those 110, 36 of those contained secret information. Eight of the email change, uh, chains contained top secret information. Every one of these instances was a potential felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison. So, yeah, she was above the law, too. Oh, also, her husband, also above the law, because he perjured himself under oath. But he was above the law because puritanical conservatives were only going after him over some trumped-up charge over sex. Now, it wasn't about the perjury. It was about the sex. Don't worry that, well, actually, it wasn't about sex, because we were told that's not sex. We were, right? That was... It doesn't count as sex. Remember the remember that argument? Oh, man, the 90s, I'll tell you. Also, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she says everybody has the right to a trial to prove their innocence. And by everyone, she means Republicans. And if you think this authoritarian formulation is an accident, you haven't been paying attention. You rem- uh, remember, Democrats were smearing Brett Kavanaugh as a gang rapist a few years ago. And Maisie Hirono, who has somehow escaped the village which is now looking for its idiot, um, she said that she puts his denial in the context of everything I know about him in terms of how he approaches his cases. So they, just like what Pelosi said, you have a right to a trial to prove your innocence, which is the exact opposite of what our system is. Right? When you walk into court a defendant, the jury is to assume that you are innocent. They are to look at you behind the defense table and say, that is an innocent person sitting right there. Convince me otherwise. But not if you're a Republican, apparently. If you're a conservative, your politics are evil. And if your politics are evil, well, then you're probably evil, right? It's the, it's the same sort of rationalization that Lois Lerner used or Merrick Garland uses, both above the law, by the way, when they weaponized government agencies against their political opponents, right? It's probably also the rationalization of Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. For... A lot of progressives, the legal system is not just a tool for criminal justice, if it's even that anymore. It's a way to exact poetic political justice, right? How many people have you heard rejoicing at Donald Trump's indictment? And they don't even really care if he if he gets um, any prison time, right? The indictment is the point, the stain. They're all about the signaling, right? Let's put a stain on his reputation. okay. New norm. Impeach Joe Biden, all of his cabinet members, maybe throw in uh, Kamala Harris as well. Just right, just impeach everybody and then start uh, start indicting everybody. Let's get a whole bunch of these prosecutors to start issuing indictments against all members of the administration. Right. Got to stain them all up, don't we? Everybody knows what's going to happen when or if Republicans start to return the favor here. We're going to get the cries of fascism which I was told again by some leftists that fascism is of the right. It's not of the left. Yeah, no, it, it's of the left. It all, it all comes from the same root, right? It's all authoritarian and that's of the left. I'm sorry. That's, that's the scale. 
right? People think the left and the right, conservative, Republican, the scale is actually tyranny versus anarchy. That's the true scale, right? You've got tyranny on one side, which is total government control over everything. And then on the other side, you've got anarchy, which is no government at all. And the idea the founders implemented was to be as close to the anarchy side as you could be because therein lies the most amount of freedom. But they recognized you couldn't have total anarchy. So you want to be as close to that side of the scale. That's on the right. Individualism, liberty. When Republicans follow suit on all of this, they're going to be called bigots. When a Republican governor retaliates against Disney for involving itself in education issues, oh, it's 1933 all over again. Literally, Hitler. But when a Democrat governor punishes companies like Walgreens for their stand on abortion drugs, well, that's a blow against injustice, right? This is uh, Harry Reid, right? Blew up the judicial filibuster. Well, that was to preserve the republic. Republicans then use that same uh, precedent for themselves and they become power-hungry partisans, right? This is the narrative. Not that anybody cares about double standards anymore. Conservatives who contend the Democrats won't like where the Trump arraignment leads are probably engaged in some wish-casting. David Arsani says, those who hold the upper hand in our major institutions aren't too worried about short-term threats or retribution. And progressives love Calvin Ball, a system of constantly shifting norms that rewards those most willing to use power. And that's the point. Thank <laughs> you.